Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora and a very big welcome to the Kākāpō Files. Ko Alison Balance tēnei. And in this RNZ podcast, we are following along with the biggest breeding season ever for the endangered flightless night parrot, the Kākāpō. We've been covering all sorts of ground and we're up to episode 12 now, Kākāpō Helpers. Now, managing this biggest ever breeding season, which just goes from strength to strength, is taking a lot of people. And not just the Kākāpō recovery team from the Department of Conservation, some of whom we've met on the show before, such as the rangers in the previous episode. There are also volunteers who come from around the world, as well as skilled experts from other conservation organisations. Let's meet some of the Kākāpō helpers down on Whenuaho, Codfish Island. I am walking around the hut, finding out what people are up to. You're in bright orange overalls with a Meridian logo on. Who are you and what are you here for? I'm Ruben. I'm from Meridian. I'm just down here just looking after the power system, just checking it out and, yeah, making sure it's working fine. Now, as the Kākāpō programme has become more and more dependent on technology, I imagine its use of power has grown. So where does the electricity for all of these bits of equipment come from? So the hut's kind of grown over the years and it's kind of morphed into what it is today. We come from a variety of powers, because obviously being on an island you can't just plug into the, into the mains. So we have uh, the hydro system, which is um, not working today, but it's, it's quite dry, for, quite, quite unusually for down here. And we've also got um, solar panels, which also feed into it. And we've also got a backup diesel generator if the, if the demand is, is high. Hydro, solar and a diesel generator, that's pretty good. So... What are you actually doing, just making sure that everything is working properly? Yes, giving you a bit of a service and making sure everything's working properly. And I say, been given a list of t- little jobs that aren't quite right. So yeah, just, just giving you a tidy up, really. This must be a bit tricky because it's not like you can power down everything and and work your way through it. But yeah, it's just very, very tricky. It's a bit like trying to do a service on a car while it's driving down the motorway under mile an hour. Well, it's very critical at the moment, and I'm thinking it's particularly critical to have power here because they've got all those eggs in the incubators which they need to keep running. They've got yeah. those little chicks that need to stay warm. So yeah. you really can't afford the power to go down. Yes, it's, it's one of them things that you, you don't realise how important it is until it, it stops working, really. Pretty, quite critical to, to everything, really, here. I can hear the generator going. Would we be able to just go and have a quick peek at it to see what it sounds like up close? Sure. So the generator is a little distance from the hut, which is a nice thing. It's got its own house. Where will she be? So I guess what my main job is trying to make the, um, the solar and the hydro systems more efficient. Because obviously at the moment we are using the generator because the demand is quite high. We have all incubators and all people on the island. However, we have made quite a few improvements to the solar system just to just to so we don't lie in it quite so much. Well, I might just grab a few seconds of just the generator and then yeah. we might leave because yeah. it's not the nicest sound no. in the world. 
Thanks, Ruben. And while the generator is indeed not the nicest sound for sure, it's a constant background sound around the hut. Now I'm on my way to another engine room of the Kakapo program, the kitchen. But before I get there, I'm going to detour via another iconic whenua sound. And that's the toilet sign being put across the track on the way to the composting toilet to indicate that it's occupied. Right, back to the hut. It sounds a bit like a factory, but that's actually the whistle of a kettle on the stove. But it doesn't mean I'm going to get a cup of tea. There are two kettles here, one for humans and one for kakapo chicks, which that one is, not that they drink tea. It's specially designated for heating and sterilising the water that will be used to bring chick food up to the perfect temperature. The chicks are fed every two hours to begin with, so that sound is a very familiar one. And there is a very familiar face hard at work in the kitchen. So Shrike, I'm ambushing you in the kitchen. Can I get you to quickly introduce yourself and say who you are and what you're doing on Whenua Ho? Shrike O'Malley, I'm the cook here for the next couple of weeks. So that seems like quite a big job. There's about 16 people on the island. Yeah, it's an exciting job. I like the outside stuff too, so it's a nice combination. So I get to go out during the morning, some mornings, and do things kakapo, and then come back here and cook up. Keep people going. Keep people going, that's right, that's right. And um, juggle the different dietary requirements and, yeah, try and keep everyone happy, but, yeah... Not, not a trained cook, so the person before me was a trained chef and he was extraordinary, so <laughs> hard act to follow, but I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> so what have you got on the menu for tonight? Uh, tonight it's a vegetable and for non-vegetarians, mince, um, kind of like a Cornish pasty pie sort of thing, and I'm doing um, kumara strips that are just um, dry roasted, and then because we've got lots of broccoli that needs eating, we're having streamed broccoli as well. Now that raises the interesting point that it's a bit feast or famine out here. You don't have the shop to pop down to, you can't go to the supermarket. No, so logistically, right. how does the food out here work? Oh, I think they've done an extraordinary job of keeping this place stocked. So despite it being a really busy season, there still seems to be lots of fresh vegetables and fruit, you know, which was fantastic. Copious supplies of chocolate to keep all the rangers and hard workers happy and plenty of other food, really. We've um, run out of odds and ends, but really it's um, no dramas. There's plenty to cook with and there's plenty of good variety of energy, rich and nutritious food, so it's pretty impressive. So it's a bit like you're the engine room for the Kakapo Recovery Programme. <laughs> don't know about that. Eh? that you're keeping everybody fuelled. Well, yeah, to some extent. I think the chocolate biscuit cupboard keeps everyone fuelled and the chips and everything else. But, yeah, it's great being part of it. Oh, well, you're beaming from ear to ear, so you must be having a good time and I should let you get back to making Kumara strips. Lovely, thank you. Thanks, Shrike. And the hut kitchen isn't the only place on Whenua Ho where volunteers are preparing meals. Hi, I'm Ian Dorrington. I'm from Bristol and over here just to help out with the feeding programme. Hi, I'm um, Mark Flowers. I'm from Bristol and I'm uh, helping out on the feeding programme too. So you're in charge of the nut room. So what are you up to at the moment? It's about eight o'clock in the morning and you look like you're getting busy for something. So we're just setting ourselves up for the day. We're kind of weighing out all the food for the birds that we're going to do on our run today. We're doing two runs. We're doing the DB run and the South Bay run and we've got 14 birds to feed. Sue, Bella, Wolf, Queenie, Jean, I think that's Nog. 
aber Rua Moss, <lacht> some handwriting is good, Gumboots, Hakateri, Huhana, Margaret, Marie, Ruth and Bonus. And we're just about to get Gumboots, here's 180 grams of uh, fine pirate food. Ah, so they've got a meal plan for every individual kakapo. Yeah, every, um, we have to be really careful. There's a big board in the room where we're at, a big white board, and you can see each of the birds has their own, uh, what we're feeding them. Then we have to carefully record what we take away from them so we can monitor how much they're eating every day and how much to give them the next day. And how do you deliver this parrot food? I assume you're not going and hand-feeding them? No, there are hoppers distributed all over the island, and there's a variety of hoppers. There's some hoppers which are electronically operated by the birds. Some have a data collection systems, so they can actually monitor which birds are feeding. Well, I better let you get on, so these hungry birds um, will have their full plates waiting for them by the end of the day. There we are. They can't, we can't keep the kakapo for their breakfast. And we're not normally up at this time. We're just trying to get ahead of the rain today. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Mark. Now, the nut room isn't very big, but as well as being the kakapo kitchen, it's also serving as the sperm laboratory, where sperm collected from male kakapo up the hill is brought back to be studied. I'm Helena. I'm a vet and a scientist from Germany, and I've uh, come to help with the AIs this season. Um, but what I do mostly is sit here at the lab and do sperm investigations. Well, my name is Andy, I'm a vet too, and we are working in the same, same working group, avian reproduction. Most of my research I did in um, assisted reproduction in parrots, and that's how we came here. I stay four weeks on this island, and we try to um, help in the assisted reproduction, especially in the artificial insemination to improve the number of fertile eggs. So you've been out today collecting some semen, some sperm. Now what are you up to? Andy um, has just done the sperm concentration calculation, so that is how many sperm are there per microliter and how many spermatozoa are there in the whole semen sample. Then we have investigated the pH value and the viability, and what I'm now going to do is um, to dilute the residual semen with different diluents and investigate it over a, different, um, over a period of time to have a look at the sperm viability and motility. So I'm uh, going to investigate the sample for at least three, three days, if not even four or five days. Because you're not always able to inseminate on the same day as the semen collection. So, but if you have to do it some other day, you would like the semen sample to be as viable and as motile as possible. So um, that's only possible if the semen uh, sample is provided with energy and nutrients to keep the spermatozoa alive. Now, the word sperm count was mentioned, so what have you found in your counting? Um, the concentration today from wolf is 3 million um, sperm per microliter. Sounds an awful lot. That sounds a lot. It's quite much more than some other parrots. Macaws, for example, they have about 30,000 only per microliter, so the difference is quite um, strong. But the other kakapos we tried, they had a much higher concentration, up to 8 or even 10 million per microliter. So the sample, the motility was not so good and the concentration was not so good neither. 
What is also very important to investigate is the spermophology, because even if spermatozoa are alive and motile, um, if the spermophology isn't uh, good enough, so for example, if the spermatozoa have triple heads or double tails... Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. For example, one uh, sample of gumboots was awful. He had lots of uh, triple tails and retroversion of the tails and many deformed um, head of the spermatozoa. But Gulliver had very good semen samples, so he, he had a, the most normal spermatozoa of all. Thanks, Helena and Andy. And that's excellent news about Gulliver's normal sperm, as he's one of the kakapo with fjordland genes and genetically quite different from the rest of the population. Now, I know that some of you hang out for the next bit of the show, the news and update section, where we find out what the numbers are coming in at. Let's make our weekly phone call. This time we're calling Whenua Ho again, and we're catching up with Daryl Eason, who's the senior technical officer and all-round kakapo guru, and he's just arrived back down in the hut. Kia ora and welcome back to the kakapo files, Daryl. I gather you spent last night up on the hill on Whenua Ho, Codfish Island. What were you doing? I did. I took... Suzanne's second chick up to her. So both her chicks hatched in the incubator. Well, she's still got one to hatch today, actually. And I took the first one up when it was a day old, and she's feeding that really well. And last night I took her second one up, which was also probably two days old, I think, now. So she's actually got her own chicks? She has, which is great. She was in a bit of an awkward nest, so we had to move her out into make a new nest box, an A-frame, just in front of her nest and moved her up into that two nights ago. So she's doing well with that. So since all that's going well, we, we moved her second chick out to her. Now, last time I spoke with Andrew, he was not sure whether you'd give kakapo on Whenua Ho two chicks each because he was worrying about the rimu fruit ripening. Is there any update on that news? There is. We're starting to see more and more ripe rimu fruit now, which is great. It's harder to see in the trees because it's so high a lot of the time, but we're starting to see ripe ring fruit on the tracks, and each day we see a bit more. So that's fantastic, and there's a lot of fruit there still. So it's just going to get easier and easier now for mums to feed their chicks on natural food, and most of them are eating just natural food and not really eating much from their hoppers, which is a really good sign. So the Rimu is ripening on both islands, on Anchor Island and on Whenua Ho. That's fantastic. Now let's just wind back and do some numbers, Daryl. And I know these change by the moment, but what are the very latest numbers? So it's the 7th of March. Where are we up to and how many eggs have been laid? 223 eggs so far. That's amazing. That's just over 100 more than last breeding season. And so that's 116 on Whenua Ho and 107 on Anchor Island. Wow, those are amazing numbers. And there are still some to come? There are. We've still got five birds that have mated recently on Whenua Ho, and we're expecting nests any day. I think Bella and Tumihi probably have just started laying now, so we'll need to go and find them in the next couple of days. And Stella and Horton mated last night on Anchor Island. And Upper Ema and Basil mate in the night before, so there's still two or three nests to find there as well. That's surprising on Anchor because it seemed like the mating had tailed off there. It did. It really dropped off for a while and there was nothing for over a week. 
and then the last few birds. Yeah, again, they they were the birds that probably had eggs taken away from them later on, and so they just need that that bit of time between losing their nest and and laying again. Now, those two hundred and twenty-three eggs. Do you know the status of all of those yet? Whether they're fertile or not? Not quite all of them yet. I think there are still at least one more to check on Fenuaho and a few more to check on Anchor. So they'll hopefully be done on the, over the next week. But we do know that 105 of them are fertile or have, have been fertile, but 29 of them have had embryo deaths. Yeah, it's kind of standard. It's what you'd expect. There's always early embryo deaths. We had an egg loss in the incubator last night, one that was malpositioned and that never quite made through to fully hatching last night and died. We we tried, but it just didn't work out, unfortunately. Yeah, so that's a fairly rare event. But most of all, the hatches are really good and they have no problems, which is great because that means the incubation's gone very well. So how many chicks have actually hatched so far? 56, which is, wow, it's huge, amazing. (laughs) And we've had three chick losses. So, yes, at the moment we're at 53 live chicks. That's absolutely brilliant, Daryl. Yeah, it is. It's always tempting to count them, but I know that there will be more problems in the future, so I try not to hold on to that number too much. (laughs) But there's more to come. So where are all those chicks at the moment? We've got quite a lot in Handra and we've still got several in Dunedin and several in Invercargill. Now we have quite a few in nests. We've got four nests on Anchor Island. Three of them have two chicks each and one with a single. And we have nine mums with chicks on Whenua Ho. And last night, I think because the fruit is improving and the chicks are doing well, we're trying to get as many mums with two chicks each to have as many chicks raised as possible by their mums and learning complete kākāpō behaviour. So last night we did a few swap arounds amongst nests and pairing up chicks of similar ages, weights. So now on Whenaho we have five mums with two chicks, Rakiura, Huhana, Sudan, Hoki and Queenie. Oh, go Queenie. She's doing okay? Yeah. <laughs> I think she's probably the fastest growth rate chick on Fenoho. Her single chick before we added the second one last night was above average weight. I'm extremely pleased to hear that. Yes, she's doing really well. So tonight, if all goes well, we might do a swap with Awarua's chick and give her two smaller ones and send her chick to Ponamu. So all of this moving the chicks around is just, uh, as you say, even up the sizes and, you know, if one mum's doing a little better with feeding, maybe get some chicks to her for a bit of a boost? Yes, and just try and reduce the amount of hand-read birds that we have. So we also sent off three chicks from Whenuaho yesterday to Invercargill and those are going to go to Anchor tomorrow. So some of that first round of re-nests on Anchor There were a few infertile clutches, so we're making up for them with chicks from Whenuaho. God, it's such a juggling act, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, and we bought one of the chicks that wasn't doing very well initially on anchor, and it's 
it's progressed well with hand rearing, so that came over from Invercargill to Fenamaho yesterday and went into Rakiura's nest. They spend a lot of time flying around the country, don't they, for a flightless bird? <laughs> they do, yeah. But, um, it's well worth having that mum experience with for the chicks. So this breeding season is still dragging on. Do you think there still might be a little more mating still to happen? I think there's only one bird that could mate left on Anchor Island. So of all the birds that we took eggs from, everyone but Kornini has been known to mate again. Yeah, so that's looking really good. And there's probably four or five on Whenua Ho that haven't mated again since their first nest was taken. So it might just about be getting a bit late. Maybe a couple more, but that might be just about it. Still, it sounds as if you still have lots of work to keep you busy now that you're moving chicks up and down the hill and moving them between nests. But then hopefully that might tail off as well once you get everybody set up with a couple of chicks. Yeah, that's right. There's always that bit of intense work to do initially. And we start off mums with one chick and make sure they're doing well. Um, But now I've kind of got it all pre-planned out at the moment for who goes to which nest now. We'll try and get as many of the chicks to go back to their actual mums as possible. But some that have three or four chicks that have hatched will have to go to another mum. So you're still going to end up hand-rearing a small number completely or do you think you'll manage to cycle most chicks through a nest at some point? No, there's still going to be quite a few hand-reared chicks from the first clutch. Once they're over about four or five weeks old, we can't really put them out into a nest. They, They just aren't begging the same from the mother and she thinks this chick's a bit so those oldest chicks that are being hand-reared in Invercargill, why have you moved them there and what, what are the conditions that those ones are being kept in now? Because they, they must be over a month old. Yes, that's right. They now are moving, about to move into a chilled room. They really don't like temperatures to be warmer than about 18 or 20 degrees while they're being hand-raised because they're often in a cool, shady nest on the island. So even when the days are hot, it's, it's a bit cooler in those nests. So, yeah, we have to reduce temperatures now for them to keep them happy and healthy. But the younger chicks will still be in either just a warmed room or or warm incubators. Any other exciting news that I've forgotten to ask you about, Daryl? It's all kind of exciting, but I'm feeling a bit positive about some of the artificial insemination work, but we'll need the paternity results. So the likes of Cindy and Margaret Marie and Esperance, who all had infertile clutches first time round, have some fertile eggs in the second clutch. And a couple of them, we did the insemination just too late for the first egg, which were infertile for Cindy and Margaret Marie, but the subsequent eggs have been fertile. So that's that's kind of exciting, but I just have to wait a bit longer. (laughs) Unfortunately, Cindy's eggs had the early embryo death, so I've just been able to send them away, so we won't get any chicks from her, but I might at least understand who the father was. Oh, that's disappointing to hear about Cindy. It is. It's a real shame. I was really hoping to get something from her, but I really can't do much about those early embryo deaths. But she's usually a good mum, so she'll she'll end up raising some chicks, which will be great. Brilliant.
Well, great to get all such good news and it still keeps coming. It never ceases to amaze me. Week by week, it's still an ongoing fantastic saga. It sure is, and it's going to be busy for a while yet. Thanks, Daryl. A big thank you to Daryl Eason, who's the Senior Technical Officer for the Kākāpō Recovery Team of the Department of Conservation. This has been Episode 12 of the Kākāpō Files, Kākāpō Helpers. You can find us online at rnz.co.nz slash kākāpō. We are also a podcast, of course, and you can subscribe to us for free at all your favourite podcast places. If you'd like to follow along on social media, there's a Kākāpō Recovery page on Facebook and Instagram. Andrew Digby and myself, Alison Balance, we're both on Twitter, just search for our names. It's been a great pleasure, as always, to bring you another episode of the Kākāpō Files. I'll be back in about a week's time. But until then, take care, have a great week. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.